Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. My name is Will Plunk, and I'm one of the pastors here, and looking forward to leading from the teaching side of things uh, this morning. And uh, before I jump into uh, Psalm 19, as we continue our series in Worship and Wisdom, where we're looking at Psalms and Proverbs, really in hopes that we as people can learn to just gaze at God and, and worship and realize He's worthy, and then also be changed and transformed in our actions with wisdom. Um, let me give you a quick little pastoral encouragement and challenge. Is that cool? I don't know. That cool, y'all? All right, cool. Um, I hope y'all with me late. Uh, so here's the thing. Summer, uh, with summer can come a change in rhythms, right? Uh, for some of you who are teachers, uh, the summer you're off and you need to be off because of how difficult teaching is. Uh, for um, some of us, there's different kind of flows and, and changes. Some of you are in school and then you get the summer off uh, like that. For many of us, we're working the same job and it's just hotter and that's the difference uh, in, in the rhythm. But nevertheless, like as a church, one of the things we've done is we've taken a break from uh, community groups and really in hopes through prayer and through leaders getting together and, and meeting that uh, we can launch groups in the fall in geographical areas where we can really do family uh, and community better than we've ever done before is the hope and the prayer. Uh, but there's a break from our typical church-structured community, and my challenge to you is don't let it be a break from community, though. Don't let it be a break from community to go. Like, there is um, help. I think there's help and benefit to the church providing structure. But here's the truth. You don't have to have the church give you a group to grab a, grab a group of people and do a Bible study. You know what I'm saying? To, like, get together and to share things that are going on in your life. To have a friend who be like, hey, maybe we can meet periodically this summer and just work through something. Or maybe I can just talk with you. To, to get mentorship for the first time this summer. Um, by just asking somebody. Like, I just don't want it to be a break from community for us. Amen? Uh, another thing, too, though, like, sometimes we can take a step back just from Scripture reading over the summer, and uh, I just say, let it be a unique rhythm there, too. Maybe there's a part of the Bible you've never really sunk your teeth into. Maybe you've been avoiding the Old Testament. Here's the time. You, ha you hadn't ever gotten to prophetic literature. Grab your little for you commentary and jump into the book of Micah. It's great. You look at it, like do that. Maybe you've never read through an entire gospel account, the account of Jesus. You, you've not done that. Just spend this summer just saying, I'm going to really get into that and journal there and kind of dive into that. Let it, maybe let there be a unique rhythm there where you can just commit to it and, and just see what God does. So I said the last service, if one person does it, I've won and I'm happy. So... Uh, let me pray for us. It'll be Psalm 19. Uh, Father in heaven, I thank you for our church family. I thank you for the people here and um, the smiles and the life and the joy and the goodness and the gladness. And also we thank you for uh, some of the difficulties and hardship um, and sickness that's been a part of our, our church family in the last couple weeks. Um, we just pray you'd meet us wherever we are. Uh, in a room this size, many of us are in different places, and we just ask that you would see us and you'd speak to us uniquely. We're thankful that you are a God who speaks, and so regardless of really the mouthpiece, your word, you've declared yourself, and so we all have a chance to hear from the very words of God, and we 
praise you for that. And uh, we just pray we'd, we'd have ears to hear this, this morning. All God's kids said, all right, Psalm 19, uh, verse 1. Let's do it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they reveal knowledge. The heavenly hosts, the sky, and all of creation are formed in such a way to be constantly and consistently pouring forth speech to tell us what God is like. This is the paradox of the wordless speech of God, that regardless of your cultural background or the language you speak, all people can hear from God through creation, that all of us do, and that creation is not just there to be, but instead creation is there to point us to God, the one who made it. It says in verse 3, they, talking about this heavenly host, all of creation, have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, but look at verse 4. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. It's saying that God literally casts colors in the sky at sunrise and sunset so that you would know, we would know he's a creative God. That he has established landscapes and mountains and all these things so that we would know he's a master engineer who creates order and stability and things we can put our weight on. That he has seeded vegetation and people and animals with potential so that they grow and become so that we would know he's a nurturing God, a caretaking God. All of creation is declaring, it says, pouring forth speech, it says, proclaiming what God is like. Creation hasn't just been created and spun into existence to be, but instead we are to see it and then see God and what he's like. Are we listening to his speechless voice? Are we stopping and paying attention? I don't know about you. I'm not really like the, hey, let's go hiking kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, hey, let's go hiking. And I'm, not, and I'm also not the beach guy either. I'm like, what am I? You know, I have identity crisis. Like, I don't, I'm just like, it's hot and it's sandy and I get dirty. But this is saying that all of creation is existing to declare what God is like. That we can stop just for a second, literally just for a second, and just think about how significant the sky is, how intricate the trees are, how vast the ocean is. And we don't just go, wow, isn't that cool? We go, wow, isn't God cool? We look at people and see the way that they're made in uniqueness and with glory and dignity, and, and we go, wow, look at the diversity of God here. Like, uh, God is communicating to us. I'll never forget the first time that uh, each one of my four kids said, Daddy. Made my heart leap, you know, because they finally recognized who I am to them, my role in their life as their father. And it was so special that they would speak back because I had been speaking to them since the moment they got out of the womb, telling them who I am. You know, like, I am biased. I try to get my kids to say daddy first. You know what I'm saying? I got the last one. I was very happy about that, right? Like, but, like, I'm, I'm saying that, but not only am I saying it verbally, 
I'm saying it in my actions, right, by changing their diapers and, and feeding them and, and praying over them and talking to them and kissing them and, and holding them. I'm consistently saying who I am to them. And so it's beautiful when they finally recognize it. This is God to us. Since we've come out of the womb, he's been declaring who he is to us. He's been speaking to you, drawing you, talking to you, wanting you to know what he is like, that there's no one like him. He is your dad. He's created this whole earth, and it's all about him. And he's been wooing us to himself from the second we came out of the womb. He's been speaking to us. Are we listening? Are we listening to this speechless voice of God who's constantly declaring who he is to us? You know, for a kid, it's very common for their first word to be mom or dad, and it's not because it's coerced. It's because to say mommy or to say daddy is the most natural response to parents who won't stop talking to them. Our prayer life and intimacy with God, family, is the natural response when we realize God won't stop talking to us. When we realize he's constantly speaking to us, telling us who he is, telling us what he's like, saying he's the most beautiful thing in the world, that he is perfect, he's spotless, he's blameless, he's powerful, he's intimate, he's creative, he's ordered, he, he's all these things. And it's natural for us to respond in, in prayer and communication when we realize he's been talking to us. I think sometimes our prayer life suffers, suffers because our listening life is bad. Because we're not just having ears to hear him now speaking to us, are we stopping and listening to this speechless voice? I, I literally think it, it's beautiful because it's always and forever. It's stopping before we go to work and just taking a second and looking up. Realize those clouds aren't just clouds. They're telling me what God's like. It's at the end of the day just reflecting for a little bit on not only the events but, but what happened and the people we interacted with and, and all these types of things. Maybe even our, our business and the systems that have been made and how creative that is and just realizing this is God talking to me. It's so easy to put our head down and just live life on autopilot, isn't it? Maybe it's just me because y'all didn't nod your heads. Like, it's easy to just go tomorrow, the next day, the day after that, with our ears closed to the God who wants to speak and who is speaking to us. Constantly. The theological term is general revelation. That that he has revealed himself to all of us in creation. And then it says this in verse 4. He kind of goes, take the sun, for example. Look, in the end of verse 4 and into 5 and 6. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion, rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. He's like, take the sun, for example. In, in culture, in that time period, it was very common for, for people to worship the sun because of how powerful it was. 
this big ball of fire in which warmth comes and, and plants can grow and is required for life. He, he goes, take the sun, this thing that many people worship. I made that. He's like, I pitched a tent for it. I have told this fiery ball that is so powerful that planets rotate around it, and if we were too close to it, we'd burn up, like a little bit closer. If we too far away, we'd freeze. I've told this sun to be exactly where I want it to be in my solar system, God says. I pitched a tent for it. It runs its race as I tell it to run its race. These planets rotate the way I tell them to rotate. This is our God who's speaking constantly to us who's ordered life in such a way to not just be, but to reveal. Then it, this end of verse 6 is really cool. It says, nothing is deprived of its warmth. Not a thing. This grace that God has put in general revelation, revealing himself, is for all of us. Nothing, no one, is deprived of the warmth of the sun. God is speaking to all of us, regardless of whether or not we identify as Christian or not, how long we've been doing, doing this church thing or not, where we are from, what our background is, it does not matter. The language we speak does not matter. If we are in Charleston or across the world, does not matter. God is revealing himself to all of us. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The theological term is common grace, God's grace that's common to all of us, given to all of us. We're all a reflective of the image of God and can hear about God and learn about God. This is a beautiful truth that there's this paradox of wordless speech that's coming to all people without discrimination we receive it. Verse 7, though, uh, transitions. So 1 through 6, it's talking about general revelation. 7 through 14, it's talking about special revelation. General revelation is God revealing himself in all of creation. Special revelation is God revealing himself specifically and in a special way through his word. Now, here's a cool thing about the transition. In verse 1 through 6, whenever God's referred to, it translates it as God, and the Hebrew word is El. It's referring to God as the all-powerful, all-creating one, the strong one is the idea. And then in verse 7 through 14, it transitions. No longer refers to God as God. Now he refers to God as the Lord, Yahweh, the special covenant-keeping God, letting us know that God is not only the all-powerful one, but guess what? He is a relational one. The same God who is transcendent is imminent. The same God who is all-powerful is also personal. And how is he personal? Chiefly through his word. Look at verse 7. Watch this. The law of the Lord is perfect. Everybody say perfect. Refreshing the soul. You hear what it does? The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Say trustworthy. Making wise the simple. You hear what it does? The precepts of the Lord are right. Say right. Giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant. Say radiant. Giving light to the eyes. You hear what this special revelation, what the word does for us? It refreshes us. It makes us wise. It gives us joy. And it gives light to the eyes. I hope no one ever told you the word is just something you need to read an obligation. That the word is just something that you need to do to learn a bunch of morals and how to do right. I hope you understand that the word of God, the word of the Lord, actually refreshes us. It makes us wise. It gives us joy. And it provides us with 
light. This is what the Word of God does. This is God coming close, opening up His Word that we always have access to for us to not just know, get this, not just know about God, but to know God. That's the difference, family. In general revelation, we can know about God and praise him for that. We see his splendor and his glory and his majesty. But when you start opening up the word and you're like, I, don't, I only know about him, but I can know him. I can know him. I can know the one who put the, seven, the sun in the sky. You can talk. I hope you hear me. You can talk to the one who hung the sun in the sky. You can have a conversation with him. Through his word. It's trustworthy. It's perfect. It's right. It's radiant. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Look at verse 10. They are more precious than gold. Anybody willing to give up some gold for the Word of God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, you ready? Then pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. This is what it's saying. This is, this is what the Word of God is. It, it is objectively more precious than gold. It is objectively sweeter than honey, meaning more pleasurable, more joy-giving than honey. This is the Word of God. So um, if someone's going to ask me my favorite food, I'm going to say Skittles, all right? It's been my favorite food for a long time. Like, would you rather have cake or ice cream or Skittles? I'm going to pick Skittles all day of the week, you know what I'm saying? Because, yes, I, my palate might be like that of a child. I'm good with it. Until COVID. Since I've had COVID, Skittles have progressively lost their taste. Listen, y'all, y'all love me way more than 9 o'clock. That's all I know. I agree with you. But not only did they lost their taste, but specifically the yellow uh, green ones, they have started tasting like metal to me. Isn't that crazy? Pray for me. I don't know what is happening. But like lemon lime, that kind of flavor, like that's my stuff. Like that's what I like. Like I'm a, like I like Sprite. I like ginger ale. Like I was on the plane the other day. Like um, after this has happened, like what do you want to drink? Ginger ale because pl- ginger ale on the plane. Y'all get ginger ale on the plane? Like that's for something. That ginger ale tastes better on the plane. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm going to get ginger ale. It tastes like metal. I'm like, what is happening to me? Like, literally, I'm so used to this. And I'm like, this is, this is I don't know what to do with my life, right? Like, because, because I don't, it don't taste good anymore. But here, here's the truth, right? Like, I got 33 years of experience that tell me Skittles taste good. And now they don't. What's wrong? The Skittles are my taste buds. My taste buds. It's not that the Skittles have changed. It's that my taste buds have. The Skittles aren't broken. My taste buds are legitimately. Listen, this is the Word of God, though. I hope you follow me. The Word of God is more precious than gold objectively. It is sweeter than honey objectively. So if we are not experiencing the precious nature of the Word of God or its sweetness, it's not that it's broken. It's that our senses are. It's that our taste buds are. It's that we are not rightly seeing and experiencing what God has made objectively true. 
It is more precious than gold. It is sweeter than honey. Go back to 7 and 9 for me. I just want you to see again what it does because of what it is. Because it's perfect, it refreshes the soul. Because it's trustworthy, it makes wise the simple. Because it's right, it gives joy to the heart. And because it's radiant, it gives light to the eyes. Can I tell you something I love about this text? It's not like our ability to coerce God that's going to make his word refreshing to us. It's not even that we come into the word and we, we chiefly say, refresh my soul. Give me wisdom. This text shows us it's, it's less about asking that, and it's more about just asking God to allow us to understand it for what it is. It is perfect. You see, when we realize it is perfect, well, then we will be refreshed. So maybe we should focus on just realizing the word is perfect, letting our eyes see it as perfect. Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who uses the word of God like a sword, so he is the one who enables us to rightly taste and experience the word of God. Holy Spirit, let me see the word as perfect because the word's sufficient. It's already, it already is what it is. Now we just need to receive it for what it fundamentally is. Like, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Praise God. The news is not trustworthy. Your social media feed is not trustworthy. I know you follow that one person, and you're like, but they usually be nailing truth bombs. I'm just telling you. That's not trustworthy. The word of the Lord is trustworthy. You want wisdom? Yeah, James 1.5 says you should ask for it, but guess what? You already have it. In the word, you already have it. Right there available to you. You already have wisdom. Just by knowing I can trust what's already there. I love this. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Again, don't let anyone convince you that reading the word is chiefly supposed to just be in duty and obligation. Some of us have fallen into some type of rhythm or, or honestly, I think it's a scheme of Satan that Galatians 3.1 says is like a bewitchment. Galatians 3, 1 says, who has bewitched you before your eyes? Jesus Christ has clearly been portrayed as crucified. It's like the idea of the cross has lost its power. I think the same can happen so much for many of us who grew up in the church or been doing this thing for a while. When it's like Satan has bewitched us to convince us that this Bible is just something to like read periodically out of obligation. Don't let Satan lie to you. What does this say? They're right. It gives joy to the heart. Do you know that this word gives joy to your heart? There's joy available for all of us. Don't matter if you're seminary educated, if you just got into church recently, where you are. It does not even matter. Joy is available because the precepts of the Lord are right. His commands are radiant. giving light to the eyes. Praise God for this. So many times I think we'll be like, God, speak to me. What am I supposed to do? I don't know where to go. I need the voice of God. We'll be like on our knees, just God, speak to me, speak to me. It's not wrong to ask him to speak like that, but I just think we have to understand that chiefly he has already spoken. And his word is what radiates. 
His word is what provides light, that there's so much in his word already, if we would just take the time to enjoy it, that'll actually inform what to do tomorrow. Inform how to live. Yeah, it don't tell us who to vote for or what car to buy or none of that kind of stuff, but it gives us the chief things we need, and that's why it's sufficient. And the reason I think oftentimes we're so frustrated, feeling like God's not answering, is because the things that are chief to us are not actually the things that are chief in the Word of God. We have our values and priorities are misaligned because the Word of God can give us our values and priorities. And then we start saying, okay, worrying about the kingdom is actually more important than these other things, Matthew 6. It's radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. My prayer for us this morning is that we would just love to listen to the God who is constantly speaking. Through creation generally, but especially through his word. They're more precious than gold, pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. It's just the emphasis. And then it says, by them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. What happens in verse 11, but even more so 12 and 13, almost can feel like a where are we going? Because it's talking generally about how God's speaking in creation in a special way, how, how God's speaking through his word. But then it kind of transitions, and it's talking about warning. And then in 12 it says, but who can discern their own errors? And then he says, forgive my hidden faults. Why does he transition from talking about and praying, and again, these psalms are poetry and songs and singing about the word of God, to saying, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. And then verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of Great transgression. What is with this transition from the special way in which God's word operates to, to this talk of, of sin and, and needing for forgiveness and keeping from sin and, and the need to become blameless and innocent and free from great transgression? Well, I don't think it is a side at all. I think what's happening is he's realizing, and, and the prayer is that we need the word of God. Yes, he's speaking, and we need the voice of God to come from outside of ourselves to help us because we are a terrible self-judge. We are a terrible light for ourselves. We do not have the power to guide ourselves. We are dead in our sins until someone outside of us comes to us to save us. And so we will be confused, we will be discouraged, unless God, in the same way he came through the person of Jesus to save us and redeem us, gives us his word to guide us and direct us and to give us joy. We need a voice, we need language from outside of ourselves to help us. There's a great verse in Ephesians 5, verse 25, that talks to this point about how we get washed and cleansed, if you looked at the end of our text, with the word of God. It says, husbands, love your wives, saying that really is just this earthly illustration of what Christ has done for the church, which is us. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, get this, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. We can read over that so much and miss that. 
how did Christ cleanse us? By washing us with water through the word. And to present her, which is us, to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Can I tell you one of the things that Christ uses the word to do? He uses it to wash us and to cleanse us. Imagine the word of God like a washing machine. And we are that muddy, moldy, stained piece of clothing. Jesus Christ, in his grace, takes us and puts up in the machine, close it, put some sanctifying bleach up in there, and then we just get washed. And for those of you who've really sat with the word of God, you know what I'm talking about. Because when we sit with the word, it washes us. Like, we bumping up against it. It challenges us. We're like, I don't even know what to do with this part. It convicts us. We're like, I wish I wouldn't have read that verse. It encourages us in a way. It's like, how is this book written so long ago still so applicable to me today? And we just get washed with the word. And this is the great joy for us, to be washed with the word. And Jesus' sanctifying blood that is just cleansing us over and over again as we, as we sit with him, knowing the word is not chiefly about learning things about God, but it's about being with God. It's about hearing the voice of Jesus speaking to all of us and transforming us. It's about remembering and being washed anew with the truth that God's love was so deep and committed and trustworthy that the all-powerful transcendent one became imminent. He became personal. He put on flesh, and in his flesh, he took on our sin. He took on judgment. He took on wrath. And with that, he then made us new by going to the cross and paying the death that we were to die. And he didn't stay dead, but he rose again in power and victory to give us new life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his love for us, because he has washed us. We don't put ourselves in the laundry machine. Jesus does that. It's not about you washing yourself. It's about the Father washing you, Yahweh, the one who has a covenant relationship with those of us who are in Christ. He cleanses us. He reveals to us, as the text says, hidden sin, sin nobody else knows of. Why would he do that? Is he mean? No, it's because he's good. He wants to reveal stuff that only he can get to, to cleanse you and to make you new and to let you walk in that fullness that he wants you to walk into. That's why he does it. He wants to keep you from willful sins. He wants to direct you, be a light unto your path so that you wouldn't continue to stumble and to fall in the same habits that will fall into apart from the word of God's direction. This is God. And it ends with this. I like the end. Vanny, come on up. Verse 14. He says, 
Again, psalms are songs and poetry and prayers. So they'd be prayed or they'd be sang. He's been praying back to God about how God is a speaking God, a God who speaks in creation and a God who's spoken through his word. And then he says, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and redeemer. God, you've been speaking so much to me. May my voice back to you be pleasing. I've responded, is what he's saying. I've responded to the God who's never quiet. And I pray my response would be pleasing. I pray that it would be acceptable. Because, Lord, you are my rock and you are my redeemer. As we sing together, you got people with lanyards on around the room. As we get prayer, and as we pray, like these are our responses. Prayer and, and singing really are our responses to a God whom's always speaking to us. It's how we enter into this conversation with the Trinity, where he's speaking and speaking, and we're responding and, and we're listening. And so... May as we sing and be together, may this just be our offering to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that, that you speak. That ever since we came out of the womb, you've been speaking. Before we knew you were our dad, before we knew Jesus was our Lord and Savior, you were speaking to us, drawing us, pulling us to you, desiring for us to say, Daddy, And for many of us in this room, in this space right now, now we know you are, you are a dad. You are a savior, you're a Lord. And now you've given us your word. And I want to pray in faith that you would take this church and make us a family of people whom love to listen to your word. who experience how perfect it is, how true it is, how radiant it is. That for some of us, we would just stop. And even as we sing a couple songs, few songs now, we would listen to how you're uniting us as a family, how you're making us one, and how you're commissioning us to be people whom have something to say because we've been listening to the one who's worthy to listen to. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.